I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And just to kind of give a quick recap where we've been. We are wrapping up our series on on missions, on the mission of the church. And uh, just over the last few weeks, we've been... But we've been being very practical about where we've been. So uh, we looked a couple of weeks back uh, at the fact that we must not be silent. Then we looked at how we have to not just open our mouths and share the gospel, but we have to serve people. We have to take care of the poor. We have to take care of the vulnerable. And then today, the, the topic that we're going to look at from Ephesians 4 is the fact that we all must be involved. We all must be involved. When you think about your, your house, and as I thought about my house, everything in the house is built from different materials. Can you imagine what your house would be like if everything was built from the same thing? You might end up with sheetrock for the siding. You might end up with glass for the studs. You might end up with linoleum for wallpaper. That would be a mess, wouldn't it? To have a house built all from one thing. But no, that's not how it is. There's many different materials that go into the building of a house. Why? Because each material has a job to do. The house is together as one, but there's many different parts that make it up. And that's the same idea that we're going to see from Ephesians 4. The main idea from this passage is that God gives each one of us gifts. Each one of us ways to serve to build up the church, and to fulfill the mission. He's gifted each one of us differently so that we can come together just like a house and fulfill the mission, to fulfill the mission and be built up. So join with me, please. Uh, and if you're able, please stand as we read the word together. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, that's pastor and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, 
when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. And Lord, this morning we receive your word as a first importance. Your word is an authority over our lives. And Lord, this morning we acknowledge that we are here to, to hear from you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would minimize me, that you would minimize distractions, and that, Lord, your word would be held up, that we would be encouraged by it, we would be convicted by it, and ultimately, Lord, that we would see our individual responsibility to build up the church, to fulfill the mission. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we look at that passage, the Apostle Paul speaking under the inspiration of God Almighty, gives us three commands that we are to do as a church. And the first one is that we are to strive for unity. To strive for unity. He starts off there just talking about how we're to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. To walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Now, he says this quite often throughout his letters, and it's said often in the New Testament, that we are as Christians to walk in a way that measures up to what God has done inside of us. The walk itself is not what's going to save us, but it's, it's something that we're to live consistently. We're to live consistently with what is happening inside of us. And so he lists several things here. He says humility means when we're walking with Jesus, we should be humble people. He mentions gentleness. We should be gentle people. He mentions patience. That's a tough one, isn't it? We should be patient people, especially when you have a three-year-old. Patient people. But he zooms in on something in particular. He zooms in on something there in, in verse 3. And it's something that we need to notice as we walk our walk with Christ. He says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. That word that he, he uses there for being eager means to be especially conscientious of doing something. It means to, to be uh, zealous to do something, to take pains to do something, to, to, to make sure, make every effort to be conscientious. This is the same word used in 2 Timothy 2 where Paul says, do your best, be eager, be zealous to present yourself to God as one approved. It's where 2 Peter chapter 3 says, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting on these, be diligent, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. And so the idea here is that we are to be diligent, we are to be intentional to do what? Look at what he says. He says that we are to maintain the unity of the Spirit. What that means is, church, we need to realize that the church does not stay united by itself. We don't just, ha we don't just stay that way, but it's something that we must actively maintain. Something that we must actively pursue. But notice where this unity and this peace comes from. Look at what he says. He calls it the unity of the Spirit. That is unity that comes from the Spirit. The Spirit, if, we're, if you're a believer in Christ, indwells each one of us. 
And so as we all have the Spirit together, we are united. The Holy Spirit of God makes us one together. We don't have to try hard to to be together by essence. By our essence, we are united together. But what Paul is saying here is, yes, the Spirit has united us together. Yes, we are one in the Spirit. But we still have to maintain it. We don't get to just say, well, the Spirit unites us, so we're not going to worry about it. No, he says, the Spirit unites us, therefore, you maintain it, you pursue it. And he says what goes along with that, he calls it in the bonds of peace. The unity of the Spirit produces peace. It produces peace. Look at the reason for this unity that he gives us here. He tells us that we are united together because we are one body with one Spirit. We are one body with one Spirit. Look at what he says. He says there is one body And one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all. Just just look at this. The reason that we are to maintain unity is because we're part of the same body. We have the same spirit that dwells in us, the spirit of God, if we are his children. And he, he, he tells us that we hold to one Lord. One master. And of course, he's, he's referring to the Lord Jesus. He says that, that we have one faith. He's talking about our shared beliefs, our doctrine that we hold in common. He says that, that we have one baptism. We all, if we're in Christ, have been baptized into the same body. And finally, he says, we serve the same God. One God, one Father of all. So this is why we're united, because all of this, all of this that we have in common together unites us. It unites us. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we united? Are we doing like he says, and are we pursuing unity? And I'm not just talking about is our church united, because I think by God's grace we are. But the question I'm asking is, are we pursuing unity? Are we praying for unity? Are we constantly asking, are we united? Are we together? Is there peace in the church? And a couple of questions to kind of help us ask this question is, do we, do you defer your preferences for the good of the body? You know, we all have preferences. We all have ideas in our mind that we, we like it done this, this certain way. But the true question is, are you going to are you willing to defer that defer those preferences for the good of the body if you were to come in next week and of course we have no plans to do this so don't worry but if you were to come in next week and you know we had a light show going and we had the lights dimmed and I mean it sounded like Hillsong in here just nothing nothing older than 3 years ago being played you don't know any of the songs it's all new it's all contemporary the lights are you know Could you lay aside your preferences for the good of the body? Could you say, you know, I don't I don't like to do it that way, but this is for the body and I'm going to lay that aside. Or maybe the other way, maybe you show up next week and there's no song that we sing that is newer than 300 years. Some of the younger people are cringing back there. 
Would you be able to then lay aside your preferences and say, you know what, I would like to do some newer stuff, but because, this is, because we're united together in one body, I'm going to lay aside my preference. Maybe it's the way things look, the color of the carpet. I mean, you name it. We have preferences and we need to lay them aside for the good of the body to maintain unity. But not just that, but another question is, do you serve the body? Do you serve the body? You know, one way that we can definitely see unity is when we're serving each other. One way that we maintain it is we we do for each other. We serve one another. And so, of course, the question is, are you serving? When's the last time that you have done something besides just attend that builds up unity in the church? And finally, we've got to ask ourselves, are we intentionally pursuing unity as a church? Is that something that we pray for? Is that something you and your personal quiet time that you pray for? Lord, would you make the church united? Lord, would you bring peace? Lord, would you help us to maintain that peace? Is that something that we ask in business meetings? Is that something that we meet when we meet for leadership? And, and, and they, you know, is the church at peace? Is there anything we can do to be better promoting this? He tells us that the Holy Spirit gives us unity, but it is our job to strive to maintain it. The second command that he gives us is actually changing gears a little bit because here he's telling us how we are unified together. We are unified together, but don't miss this, okay? Just because we're unified together does not mean that we are all the same. Doesn't mean that we're all the same. And so now he's going to zoom in on our differences. He's going to zoom in on our differences and and he starts by telling us about diverse gifts that Christ has given us. He tells us uh, that in verse 7 that Christ gives us grace. Notice that he calls the gift grace. Now there's no doubt that the the grace he's talking about here is different spiritual gifts. It's different things that he's given us to serve the body, to build up the body. But I want you to realize that he calls it grace. In other words... It is not owed to us to have a spiritual gift. It's not like that we're entitled for God to give us a spiritual gift, but it's simply His grace that He does. But notice that He says who this gift goes to. He says there in verse 7, to each one of us. Not just to the pastor, not just to the deacons, not just to the church council, not just to those in leadership or the people who are spiritual or Stacy or other people who are, who are leading, singing. We all have a gift. Christ has given each one of us a gift, the text says. So don't think, don't think that you need some kind of special calling to serve. Don't think that you need somebody to come and ask you to serve. No, you are gifted by Christ himself with a unique gift to serve the body in a special way. And notice at the, the, the next part of that verse, he says that we are given these gifts according to Christ's measure. According to the measure of Christ's gift. And what he simply means here is that Christ is the one who gives us these gifts as he chooses It's the same thing that he says in 1 Corinthians 12. The Apostle Paul there is writing to the the church in Corinth and says, but as it is, God has arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chooses. As he 
chooses. We need to realize that the gift that we have is given to us by Christ's will. He is the builder. He is the master. And so the gift that we have, don't think that your gift is just too small. Don't think that your gift isn't what you want it to be because the way that God has gifted you is exactly the way that He wants you to be. That's exactly how He wants you to serve. And so don't think that it's too small that you have gift. Maybe, maybe you're not upfront. Maybe you're not teaching. Maybe you don't have a showy gift, but maybe your gift is administration or it's something in the background. Don't think that, well, because my gift is this, you know, I just, my gift isn't as good. No. He gave you that gift for a reason. For a reason. And can you imagine the mess we would be in if we all had the same gift? Can you imagine the mess we would be in? He gives an illustration next of Christ's conquering. And, and, and he, he's quoting here from Psalm 68. And in Psalm 68, we see the picture of God conquering his rebellious enemy and leading, ascending and leading captives behind him, leading uh, the prisoners of war behind him. And then the picture that we get there is of a king. And when a king conquers his enemy and he comes home victorious, parades through the city and has all of his his uh, enemies behind him trailing in chains. What does that king do? Well, of course, uh, the king is going to share the spoils of war with his people. He's going to share gifts with his people. And that's what Psalm 68 is all about. And Paul simply is picking up on that and saying, if that's the case, how much more will Christ give us gifts? One who hasn't just conquered an earthly enemy, but has conquered the biggest enemy that stood in our way, sin and the grave. He conquered Satan, the forces of darkness. He conquered them. And he is leading up. The picture you get is he's, he's being exalted. He's ascending to his throne. He's got all of his enemies behind him. So how much more do you think he's going to give us good gifts? How much more do you think he's going to bless us? And how much more do you think we are going to share in his victory? He is exalted over all things, Paul says. And so we have a king who has conquered and a king who invites us to share in his victory, a king who has given us gifts, and the gifts that he's given us, don't miss it, it's not wealth, it's not health, it's not prosperity in this life, but he's given us gifts that we can turn around and serve the body with. He's given us gifts that we can turn around and serve the body with, and so the question we have to ask is, are you using your gifts? Are you using your gifts? God has set up the body where each and every person has a gift. A unique gift. That if that person did not serve the body with their gift, the body couldn't be served by somebody else with that gift. It's all unique. It's all different. And so what we see here is that, listen, being involved in church is more than attending on Sunday morning. You know, we, some, of, some of us like to, that, that we want a nice religion where we can just show up 
and, and sit in a service on Sunday morning and then go about the rest of our week and not really worry about that until it comes time for the next Sunday and we show back up. Now, we may do some good throughout the week, don't get me wrong, but our, our attendance is our, our main way of serving. Let me tell you, attendance, now we're glad you're here, please don't leave, but we want your attendance, yes, but we want more than your attendance. We want your involvement. We want you to, to use your gifts. We don't want you to have to wait for somebody to come and ask you. You don't have to wait for the pastor or the nominating committee to come and ask you to serve. You can use your gifts right now today. You don't have to wait for somebody to come and beg you. In fact, that's not the picture we see here, is it? It's a picture of the whole body cooperating together. Can you imagine what it would be like if, if some people just stopped serving? Can you imagine what it would be like if the AV people in the back just decided, I'm not going to show up today? You wouldn't hear the service. You wouldn't be able to watch it later. You wouldn't be able to hear it later. Can you imagine what it would be like if, if our, child, our child care workers and our teachers for our children, if they just decided, you know, I just don't want to show up today. You get ready, you're sitting down for Sunday school and you open in your lesson and you're, you're getting ready to, to dig in and all of a sudden all, all the kids just come running through because they have no teacher. They're just running crazy, running wild. They're not being taught. Can you imagine what it would be like? Can you imagine what it would be like if Stacy in the choir just said, I just, I'm not going to show up today. And there was no worship. Those are all the things that we notice, but I wonder how much we don't notice. Because maybe your gift is not something that happens in front of people that people can take notice of, but maybe your gift is something else. And I wonder if our ministry is being hindered because we don't have people using their gifts all together and being involved in the mission. We would be in a mess if these people stop serving, just like we're in a mess, if you decide you don't want to use your gift and you don't want to serve. He tells us that we should strive for unity, focus on what we have in common. Now he's going to focus on, he focuses on what we have uh, in diversity, our gifts. And finally, he's going to kind of put it all together for us. And the final thing that he tells us is that we should be on mission together. We should be on mission together. He lists some of the gifts that he's given to the church. Now, I just want to say this. He lists these gifts, and they, these are the, the leadership of the church. And I don't know what's going on in Ephesus where he's writing to. Maybe they're struggling with, with some of their leaders. Maybe they need to be reminded that these guys are gifts from God. But this is not an exhaustive list. So don't see, well, he's talking about apostles and pastors and prophets, so he's not talking about me. This is not an exhaustive list. Look at what he says. He says he's, he's given the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. But I want you to notice first couple of words in verse 12. Because this is where it all comes together. To equip. To equip. Gifts are given to the church to equip the church 
God wants the pastors, He wants the apostles, He wants all these people together, the evangelists, because He wants the church to be equipped for what? For the work of ministry, He says. For the work of ministry. And so we need to see that, that the pastor is not the only one doing ministry in the church. Can you imagine, you know, a pastor can only do so much. I'm speaking from experience here. A pastor can only do so much. And if the pastor is the only source of ministry in a church, not much is going to get done. The mission's not going to advance very much. But what does he say? He says that the, he, he's given these gifts for the equipping of the church, of all of us, each and every one of us. The pastor is not the only one that does ministry, but notice it is everyone that shares in ministry together. A pastor can only do so much, but when the whole body, when each and every one of you that's here, a part of this church, when you, when you realize that ministry is yours also, all of a sudden it's not just one person doing it, but all of a sudden you have a church full of people doing it, and the mission advances. The body is built up. We share in this together. He wants us to be equipped. And notice what happens when everybody is doing this together. Look at what he says there in verse 11. I'm sorry, in verse 12. He says, for the building up of the body of Christ. When we're all sharing in ministry together, when we're all a part of the mission together, each one of us, the church is built up. The body is built up. Notice the goals for what he, he, he wants here. Notice what he, he says is the goal for the body being built up. He first of all says the, the goal there is community. He says it's, it's community. Look at what he says there. He says, until we attain, in verse 13, to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. He wants us to be together as we build up our faith and as we... As we Pursue a relationship with Jesus. In other words, we don't do these things by ourselves. We don't do this walk with Jesus by ourselves in isolation, but we do it together. We need to do it in unity, in community, together. But notice that the second thing that he says. He tells us that we're to do it to go on to mature manhood or adulthood. In other words, Christ equips the church to fulfill the mission to build up the church so that we could be in community together and grow as we know Jesus and also so that we can mature. So that we can mature as Christians. And notice what he says right after that. He gives us the measuring stick of it all. He says that, that the measuring stick of this is the stature of the fullness of Christ. The stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, maturity is not just, Christian maturity is not just you growing as a person. But it is measured by the amount to which you are conformed to the image of Christ. You may be the most mature person that there is. But your Christian maturity, your spiritual maturity is not measured that way. It's not measured whether you pay your bills on time, whether you live by yourself, whether all these things that we measure maturity by in this, in this culture that we live in. But it's measured by how much we look like Jesus. 
He wants us to do all of these things. He wants us to be equipped to build up the church so that we would look like him. That we would be mature. That we would grow. Notice that he tells us that we're not going to be children anymore, but we're going to be adults. Not going to be children anymore, but adults. He says part of this maturity is so that we will no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You know, when I think about it, children are the easiest to deceive, aren't they? Let me tell you, my children are the easiest to deceive. In fact, it's, it's, it's fun a little bit. We love telling stories to Mary Beth. And, you know, all of you, would, of course, would know that we're joking, but she doesn't always catch on to the fact that we're joking. So, you know, we'll just be kneeling down there with her and we'll say, hey, Mary Beth, guess what? The police are going to come and get you. Oh, no, I don't want the police to come and get me. Or tell her, you know, Mary Beth, the police came last night and they got mommy and so she's, she's gone. Just joking with her. I'm, I'm a horrible father, okay? I'm horrible. I'm horrible. And she freaks out thinking that her mom is in jail. Any adult, of course, would know that, you know, I'm joking. And she does now, but the first few times she sure didn't. Children are, are, are so easy to deceive, aren't they? When we are children in the faith, it's easy for us to be deceived. And let me tell you, we have an enemy that wants to do just that. We have an enemy that wants us to be deceived. That wants to see us distracted from building up the church, from fulfilling the mission. And to put it all together for you. The Apostle Paul is saying that God has given each one of us gifts. So that we can serve one another. So that we can build each other up. Build up the body. And as we do that, we will become more mature in Christ. And when we become more mature mature in Christ. We're not going to get as easily distracted as we used to. We're not going to be deceived like we used to be. But he also says it another way, not just not being deceived, but he says it this way too. He says in verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. He doesn't just want us to grow in maturity and not be children, but he wants us to grow into Christ. He wants us to grow into Christ who will knit all of us together. And as we grow, we're going to find that we are being knitted together more and more. And the unity that we are striving to maintain as we fulfill our mission is easier and easier to attain as we grow in maturity. We see Paul telling us that we should strive for unity. The Holy Spirit has given it to us, yes. But we are to strive, work hard, be diligent to maintain it. 
Are we doing that? Paul tells us that we should use our diverse gifts. He's given them to us as He has chosen sovereignly. Are we using them? Are we using them? Or are we just coming here and sitting in a pew on Sunday and that's, that's the extent of our service? And finally, he tells us what it's all about. We are to be on mission together. That he wants to equip us to fulfill the mission and to ultimately bring us into Christian maturity. This morning, we want to be people who don't just hear God's word, but we want to be people who, as James says, are are doers of the word and not hearers only. And so, I invite you to respond to what you've heard this morning. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, let me just say that not much of this is for you. Yes, Christ has given you gifts, but you're not really able to use them. But He's given you an even better gift than any of the things that we've described this morning. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian or you're not sure if you're a Christian, let me tell you, there is a bigger gift that Christ offers to you. And that gift is a relationship with God. A relationship with God. You say, well, why is that important? Why is that important? It's important because that's what we were designed for. That's what's going to bring us ultimate joy and ultimate fulfillment. Having a relationship with God. And you may think, yeah, well, I already have that. The Bible tells us by nature we don't have that. By nature, we are at enmity with God. We're not just automatically cool with God, but we are, by our nature, hostile, rebellious against Him. And a lot of times we can't even see that. And so if you're a Christian this morning, I invite you to respond to this just by simply receiving what Christ has done for you. And this is what we would call the gospel. That Christ, He does all of this. He brings us into a relationship with God because He lived a life that we should have lived. A perfectly righteous life. He was born into the world just like we are. He lived a life that we did not live that we could not live, and he died the death that you and I deserved. And that to receive that, to receive that, all you have to do is cling to Christ. All you have to do is cling to him, trust in him. Don't trust in your works to save you. Don't trust in your performance to bring you in a relationship with God. Trust Christ. Repent of your sins. And if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, the invitation to you is don't wait to use your gift. Don't wait to use your gift. Don't wait for somebody to come and ask you to serve. Serve. This mission that we're on is a mission that will advance most clearly when we are all involved together. And so I encourage you, if you're, if you're a member of the church or you've been coming here for a while, I, I would encourage you to not just be the kind of person that, that just comes and sits for an hour a week and then that's it. Now, we're glad you're here. We want you to come back. Don't ever feel like you're not welcome here. But let me tell you, we want more. We want you to be involved because that is what God has designed this thing called church for. Use your gifts that He's given you. And I invite you, if that's you this morning, to renew. Renew your mind to 
to use those gifts. Renew yourself, renew your resolve to use your gifts and use them. And maybe you're here this morning. And you're one of the people. And you just say, you know, this is a great message. It's a great message, but I'm already one of the ones serving and I'm burning myself out. I feel like I'm the only one doing it. Maybe some of you in here feel like that. Maybe you feel like, you know, I'm just I'm one of the few that serves and and I'm just I'm, I'm at my wits end and I'm just ready to quit. If that's you, let me just say. Take heart. Take heart. And keep going, because the thing that you're serving, you're, yes, you're serving the body. But ultimately. You are serving the Lord himself. You are serving for the Lord himself. So be encouraged. Keep on going. Keep on going. And pray for the body to be involved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have spoken to us. And Lord, I pray that we would be a body who is involved. That we would not just sit back and wait for the church to become missional. But that we would be involved in the church's mission. That we would make it our own. That we wouldn't just say ministry is for the leaders. I pray that each and every person in this room, Lord, would see that the ministry of this church is something that we all do. And that if we're going to see our parish one to the Lord... Father, if we're going to see Florine, we're going to see Mount Carmel community, if we're going to see all around us the mission advancing and Christ being lifted up and exalted, and if we're going to see revival happen, it's not going to be because one or two people are in on it. It's going to be when all of us are all in. And so, Lord, we come to you this morning and we say, Lord, that we want to be involved. Lord, we confess that that in the past we haven't done as much as we should. In the past, Lord, yes, our, our religion consists of just coming on Sunday morning. But Lord, would you help us? Would you give us the resolve? Show us, Lord, the gifts that you've given us. That your kingdom might advance here in Sabine Parish, in Florine, in Mount Carmel. Father, help us to be involved in the mission. In Jesus' name.